0: Welcome to House Calls where we get to talk to investment bankers from Kane Brothers, a division of KeyBank Capital Markets Inc. Kane Brothers bankers work in some of the most interesting segments of the healthcare industries. They work with organizations and business models that are helping to change American healthcare for the better. I'm your host Dave Johnson. I'm also CEO of Foresight Health. I'm a recovering investment banker myself who discovered late in my career that I was always meant to be a journalist. I co-author a monthly thought leadership article with a rotating cast of senior bankers from Kane Brothers. Each piece becomes an exercise in examining a fascinating segment of the dynamic healthcare landscape. The focus of our articles and this podcast is on how to make America's fragmented, inefficient, and often broken healthcare system more integrated, consolidated, efficient, and customer-focused so that it delivers greater value and innovation to the American people. We have a great program today. I'll be interviewing Rob Freeman, the president of Kane Brothers. Rob has been an investment banker for over 30 years. During his impressive career, Rob has led many complex and path-breaking transactions. These include the conversion and recapitalization of the not-for-profit Caritas Christi Health system into the for-profit Steward Health. He also raised growth capital funding for the DuPage Medical Group through the private equity firm Summit Partners. These and many more transactions like them illustrate how Rob and Kane Brothers operate at the cutting edge of capital formation strategies that are reshaping the American healthcare system from the ground up. On a personal note, Rob and I have been friends since college. Go Colgate. He's not only an accomplished banker and leader, he's a jazz aficionado, an avid reader, and a deep thinker on health policy. We regularly have wide-ranging and fascinating discussions. I'll expect we'll have another one today. Rob, welcome to House Calls.
1: Thanks, Dave. It's great to hear your voice.
0: And great to hear your voice. So Rob, we're both just getting back from the JP Morgan conference or circus uh, in San Francisco. It's always crazy, but it, it felt even crazier this year than in past years. Let's hold that part of the conversation for now and talk about the year that we just left, 2019. Throughout the year, Kane Brothers produces a remarkable collection of thought leadership filled with transactions, policy and market insights. As in past years, we've collected those in a single article with the provocative title 2019 Observations and Insights. Here's the provocative part. Rising consumerism, market repositioning, and a cloud of dust, just like Woody Hayes. This is always a favorite article of mine because it's a bit like a scavenger hunt. We dig into all of the content from the last year in search of patterns, insights, and clues for what not only happened last year, but what will happen and unfold during the coming year. So this year, you and I, when we went through this exercise, unearthed three themes around which to categorize all of the 2019 content. They were first, regulatory policy and financing changes. Second, business model repositioning, especially consolidation. And third, the rising consumerism that's coming into healthcare. So, given that, given those themes, let's, let's start with the, the big kahuna, Medicare, and the rising share of enrollees selecting Medicare Advantage plans. And what's unique about Medicare Advantage plans relative to uh, regular Medicare is that it shifts care management risk, the financial risk of caring for people, to the insurance companies that sponsor the plans why don't you talk about the impact this changing insurance dynamic is having on the healthcare marketplace? Who wins? Who loses? And what are the new business opportunities?
1: You know, Dave, the interesting thing is, is that Medicare and, and MA, Medicare Advantage in particular, actually touches on all three of these themes. It's obviously a policy and regulatory and financing matter. Uh, it is having a huge impact on consolidation and new business models coming into the industry. And ultimately, it is a consumer business. Um, MA is a, is obviously a great program and it's, it's clearly better than traditional Medicare for its members, uh, given, as you mentioned, the broader array of services and the holistic approach to care. Uh, it's ironic, in fact, that it's difficult for some retired elderly Americans, uh, candidly, including my own parents. Uh, to enroll in M.A. because of their concern about limiting their network choice. But in any case, we're big believers that the acceleration of M.A. should continue, uh, despite the fact that the law of big numbers will make it harder to achieve the same year-over-year growth rates over the next five years as we've seen over the Mm -hmm. last five years. Um, That said... I think there's a pretty decent chance that we'll get to 45 or maybe even 50% MA penetration in the next five years, uh, but it's going to take a really aggressive implementation and marketing by the payers, the humanities of the world, um, and in particular I'd say by the providers, the large multi-specialty groups and health systems who are actively trying to move to value-based contracts uh, with MA and encouraging their patients to go with their MA offering. So that's who has the opportunity to win. I think that in particular, we'll see the acceleration of some of the payers like Humana, as I mentioned, uh, continue to partner with providers that can drive MA uh, volumes, and that's that's certainly a win-win.
0: Yeah. Well, before we get into uh, the losers, uh, I just wanted to, to pick up on this a little bit, Rob. Um, you said we'll get forty-five to fifty percent MA which may not seem like a big number, but what I've noticed, and there aren't many markets like this, but when the percentage of Medicare enrollees gets in and around 50% in places like Minneapolis, Portland, Oregon, um, Orange County, California, it's a big enough number that the payers and providers uh, need to start vertically integrating to manage the care for these people and they are having seeing some visible change in how they organize themselves. Is that something you're seeing as well, or you're seeing companies getting ready for that are interested in, in the M&A space?
1: You bet. And uh, I know that we're gonna get into a discussion in a few minutes about consolidation in the industry and M&A activity, and I would say that a big part of that is related to exactly that phenomenon, that uh, providers or payers, and you know, I in some ways use them interchangeably, um, if they're going to be uh, in the MA program, if they're going to be going at risk, they need to either own or they need to partner and control the ability to have all of the different aspects of the delivery system under one roof or certainly under, under one scheme to provide care.
0: You know, I I think it was in 2019 I first heard the term, and I don't really like it very much. Although it, it does does do justice to what you just said of of pay viders, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it uh, basically a vertically integrated solution. And it, I guess what what I like about what you're saying is this is the marketplace's way of fundamentally changing the system bottom up. Um, in ways that that reward value. If you're only getting a certain amount per member per month for your population, you have to figure out how to manage the group within that that budget. And that's what triggers things like um, uh, free gym memberships, better preventive services, uh, focus on dental care, and so on. So it feels like vertically integrated uh, providers that can deliver on value uh can be real winners in in the post-reform world. So let's talk now about who loses.
1: Look, the losers are going to be those who can't play in, uh, in that market. It's the insurers who have not developed or successfully marketed uh, their MA product line. Uh, it's the fee-for-service providers who are behind the curve on the shift to value who are still, you know, collecting fees. Um, and it's the uh, smaller or lower market share providers who are going to be, if they haven't already been, uh, left out of narrower MA network mm-hmm. that are being formed. I think those are the, those are the folks who we're going to lose.
0: Yeah. Um, and sort of going along with this is a, is a somewhat overbuilt acute care delivery system because um, if we do a better job of prevention and chronic disease management and uh, decanting – high-cost procedures out of high-cost hospitals into lower-cost, more convenient ambulatory centers, um, it feels like there could be a fair amount of disruption um, in the 2020 decade, which maybe that's good for Kane Brothers because it could mean more consolidation activity. Is is that what you see potentially uh, happening?
1: It is what we see, and I think that, uh, you know, look, hospitals aren't going away, and, uh, and you're right, we will be involved in, in helping them consolidate, uh, but they have to evolve. There's no question, and one of the ways they're doing it, obviously, is by acquiring part, uh, physician practices uh, and affiliating with physician practices in as quick and as robust a manner as they possibly can, and that really is the way that they're going to be able to uh, uh to enter into contracts like the ones we're talking about um, and ultimately provide that better care uh, at a at a
0: cost that works you know and and i I think most people who try to think about the future uh, think about it as an iterative um progression from where we where we start today. Uh, and yet we know just from looking back over the last 10 or 15 years in a digital age, we've seen the emergence of entirely new types of companies, uh, Facebook, Google, and so on. Um, Healthcare has tended to lag uh, the rest of, of industry and in its application of uh digital technologies, platforming, uh, going to the cloud and so on, uh, artificial intelligence. Um, do you see new types of, of business opportunities emerging as healthcare uh, begins this progression not only into value but into um, operating platforms that uh, start to look a little bit more like the rest of American industry?
1: Uh, I do Dave and I'd say that some of them aren't necessarily new uh but and some of them are so for instance um, in this in this area uh some of the businesses that that I love that I just really feel are part of the solution to our healthcare challenges uh, our older businesses, like we have a, a client, Caremount Medical, a very mm-hmm. large multi-specialty physician group in, uh, in the uh, northern, uh, Westchester and, uh, New York suburbs, uh, which is a group that's been around for decades, many, many decades, but has moved into the, uh, to the Medicare Advantage world, the, the risk world in a way that is going to redefine who they are. So there's an older business that is, you know, huh. has, uh, is in the process of transforming itself. Um, But in addition, um, there are new companies, newer companies, that are adhering to the same model, but they're building from the ground up. And I love some of these businesses uh, that are focused on primary care um, clinics that are uh, going fully at risk in MA, companies like Oak Street Health and Iora, ChenMed and Cano Health uh, down in Florida. These are the companies that are, as I said, undoubtedly part of the solution to our healthcare challenges. Why? Because they're treating patients in a holistic manner, they're doing it inexpensively, Uh, they are focused on social determinants because they have to be, and on environmental factors uh, in whatever given market we're talking about. I think that that's where you're going to see tremendous traction, keeping these patients out of the hospital, out of the high-cost settings.
0: Yeah, which gets to the consumerism part of the discussion. The industry as a whole, historically, has really been able to execute transactions without customers. People go to the doctor, doctor tells us what to do, we do it and somebody else pays for it. Um, But many of these new models are very uh, consumer-centric and companies like Oak Street and ChenMed and Iora work very hard to develop strong customer relationships, know their customers, move forward from that. And uh, it feels like healthcare is not going to go completely retail But it will need to develop some consumer muscle uh, and instincts in order to navigate uh, in a world where people will have more choice. There will be greater transparency. In some ways, it won't come as easy to the, the incumbents as it has up to this point. Are you sort of of that line of thinking as well?
1: I am. I think consumerism is really finally beginning to impact the way uh, companies compete. You know, high deductible plans obviously are causing consumers to think uh, hard about the cost of their of their prescriptions and of their healthcare services. Uh, obviously, mobile devices and ubiquitous apps uh, enable consumers to monitor their health and their utilization in new ways. I think the interesting thing is technology can actually make healthcare more human. Uh, despite the fact that many people think it'll remove the human touch, I think that it can enable the healthcare providers and the healthcare payers to become more personalized. So for instance, using AI, uh, to deliver faster and more accurate responses instead of making people wait on the phone forever, uh, will enable the consumer, the patient, to get to the right place in the healthcare system faster. I also think that you know frankly, consumer branding is going to take on a greater importance in the healthcare industry. We've seen it for some time, whatever city any of us are in, major cities that health systems are doing, heavy consumer branding, a lot of billboards and so forth, but uh, certainly in major markets like Chicago where you are and New York where yeah, I am, yeah. uh, there's lots of TV advertising and so forth, um, and uh, I think we're going to see large companies building national brands didn't Optum take out ads in last year's Super Bowl. It wouldn't surprise me to see a lot more of that kind, those kinds of trends growing uh, more rapidly and meaningfully in the healthcare industry.
0: On the, on the market side of the equation, Rob, this was another banner year for capital investment. Instead of the mega mergers of recent years, however, we saw more of a wave of consolidation. Could you describe that wave?
1: Sure. Um, You know, there certainly were some mega mergers. Uh, You had Centene and WellCare uh, and and so forth. But we agree there's more activity uh, right now of what we think of as tuck-in acquisitions. Those can be billions of dollars in enterprise value, but typically they're in the hundreds of millions. So what does that say about the healthcare industry today? Well, there's lots of moving pieces. That's what we're talking about on this call. There's this move from fee-for-service to value. Um, There's an intense need for capital to invest in IT and people to enable that transition uh, as well as for interacting with the consumer, the patient, and in a more user-friendly manner. And ultimately the fact that scale really matters in healthcare these days whether you're an asset-heavy uh, health system, hospital system, or an asset light physician group or alternate site provider, or if you're a medical device company that is selling more and more to GPOs or buyer groups rather than to individuals uh, or even uh, physicians. All of that activity has led the investors, whether they're private equity firms or they're strategic investors, to think about how can they move the ball forward not wholesale changes that we were seeing in some of these mega mergers, but rather uh, the need to partner uh, with one another. Or if you're a large strategic uh, company, a public Mm -hmm. company, uh, the opportunity to buy, you know, some smaller businesses that uh, in a classic sort of buy versus build uh, kind of scenario.
0: Yeah, that partnership of, of financial and strategic buyers is particularly interesting. And that's Helping get some bigger and more complex deals done. Uh, and I know Kane Brothers is, is uh, paying attention to that trend and involved in it. Could you give us a few examples of the types of transactions that exemplify the wave that you, that you just described uh, and maybe one or two of these uh, strategic financial uh, transactions that, uh, that are somewhat new to the marketplace, in healthcare at least?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. You know, the, the need for growing companies to partner with capital partners with uh with private equity in many cases is part of that wave. Uh such as when our client Summit Medical Group, large multi-specialty group, uh did both. They did the strategic transaction and a capital transaction. They merged uh with the large urgent care uh provider in New York City, CityMD, um and the entire entity was recapped uh, by private equity firm Warburg Pincus. That's a classic example of uh, bringing together those different elements. But a different uh, transaction we weren't involved in was the recently announced uh, minority equity investment by TPG in Kelsey Siebold uh, down, in, down in Houston. Uh, Kelsey Siebold was looking for a capital partner. They weren't looking for a merger partner. They're in the world that is going through all of these exact changes that we're talking about, and you simply can't do it by uh, you know, self-funding that of cash flow or by reducing physician compensation. We also see deals like Humana buying the uh, recently buying the hospice, pharmacy, and benefit manager Inclara. Humana is obviously a 40 or $50 billion market cap company, and Inclara is much, much smaller. But this is a natural fit with the uh, significant investment that Humana is making in their Curo and Kindred uh, hospice uh, patient base, which, of course, fits within their Medicare theme. Or similarly, we um, worked this past year and last year... Uh, with a client, uh, Stuart Health, our client, um, that sold their Medicaid book of business. But the interesting thing about that is this was a book of business in the state of Arizona, and the acquirer was Blue Cross Blue Shield of Arizona. Uh, This was a buy versus build decision for the blue plan because they needed to be uh, a scale Medicaid player in their home state. They obviously have a commercial book of business. They also have a Medicare book of business, uh, but they weren't in Medicaid. So they acquired 200,000 plus plus lives from, uh, from Stewart. Um, lastly a uh, similar type of transaction but in the provider world uh, our client allicare which was a family owned privately held business the largest home healthcare business in the state of Alabama uh, which was acquired by encompass health uh, also uh, an alabama based uh, company but which did not have a deep uh, array of home care assets uh, in alabama despite having uh, rehab and other types of assets so I'd say each of those, Dave, are are examples of what you know what as you called it that wave, yeah. uh, but not you know but not mega mergers.
0: You know, it, it it's really uh, impressive the range of healthcare transactions that Kane Brothers executes, um, and as president of the company, you get to see it all. Um, but I wonder, could you just deviate a little bit from talking about what's happened in the market? I'm I'm just curious in your role as president. How you think about growing the company and uh, having this breadth of capacity to cover this complex, nuanced industry in all of its uh, shapes and sizes, uh, it must be both challenging and invigorating at the same time.
1: It absolutely is. I feel uh, so, so fortunate to have had the opportunity over the last 16 years to, uh, to be here and uh, to be the president of the company for the last 11 years. Um, you know, w- there's lots of really, really great investment banks and advisors and financial advisors out there. Um, what we try to do here is uh, bring a depth of intellectual capital, of knowledge um, of what's happening in the healthcare economy. Um, we are um, completely agnostic as to whether our clients are Uh, for-profit or not-for-profit. Obviously, the U.S. healthcare economy is one that has a tremendous not-for-profit or tax-exempt element to it. We serve those clients in exactly the same way. We have the same dialogue with our large um, healthcare system, tax-exempt healthcare system clients that we do uh, with the for-profit companies. Uh, Similarly, I mentioned the blues. You know, we, uh, in in Arizona, we we have a dialogue with all those blues just as we do with the commercial insurers, the uh, the for-profit. Uh, companies, and um, it's our view that if we can bring to our clients the ability to uh, help them think through some of the trends that we're talking about on this call and that you've talked about with my colleagues on on other um, house calls um, and engage in the dialogue that crosses over a variety of of vertical uh, lines, whether it's by industry sector or, as I mentioned, by tax status, I think that's something unique. Um, that the industry needs, and it certainly has enabled us to grow our business over the last couple of decades.
0: And and of course, Rob, uh, a big event in the history of, of Kane Brothers uh, was your merger into um, KeyBank and being able to have a a big money center bank as a partner and in sort of building the business and doing more in different types of transactions and in many ways more complex transactions. I think the audience would really find it interesting uh, to hear from your perspective how you shifted from an independent boutique healthcare bank, uh, still doing many and most of the same things, but now – under the umbrella of a big money center bank and uh, just talk to us about Key and how that's enabled the firm to grow and develop new capabilities uh, that will take you into the next decade uh, and beyond.
1: Well, look, it's one of those things that uh, I've been advising clients for three decades about uh, what the right time to sell a business is and what the reasons are. And uh, a few years ago, when we started to think about that, uh, as it pertains to Kane Brothers, we felt that it might be the right time to find a partner. Uh, why? Well, one reason, a big reason, is that we felt that the ability to offer our private equity clients and our corporate clients the access to the capital markets uh, was something that would be beneficial. Uh, we are a strategic advisory and M&A-oriented firm at our foundation. Uh, but the ability to uh, provide financing uh, to the clients is something that uh, we felt was uh, was relevant to them um, and could uh, continue to enable us to differentiate. That, of course, fit uh, with what KeyBank was looking for because they have that, that capability. Interestingly, mm-hmm. though, they were also looking to uh, to build out their strategic advisory businesses uh, and, in particular, their uh, mergers and acquisitions advisory business, and um, that was uh, that was an important. Important part of the thesis for them. The one other element that um, I really had no idea until I met the folks at Key several years ago was that after real estate, healthcare, broadly defined healthcare, was the largest asset class within KeyBank, or at least one of the, the couple of largest. In other words, the value, the volume of loans that the bank has made to hospitals and physician groups and medical device companies and on and on and on um, uh, was uh, in the many, many billions and billions of dollars. And so the ability to bring to those clients or even just some portion of those clients a strategic advisory business like what we're talking about here that we do mm-hmm. uh, really made a, a ton of sense. So hopefully, we've been able to keep our um, our unique business model intact, but at the same time, offer a broader array of uh, capabilities for our clients. And so far, it's been two and a half years, and I have to say, it's been a it's been a terrific partnership for Key uh, and for my colleagues at Kane Brothers.
0: Well, I I gotta say, if the metric is the attendance at your annual J.P. Morgan event for the national championship collegiate football game. Um, Kane Brothers is doing exceptionally well. It was packed. And uh, so good for you. It, you know, that kind of gets us into uh, into JP Morgan. And uh, like you, I'm, I'm probably still processing everything that happened. But what sort of your overall impression of the conference this year? Uh, what did you hear people talking about? Anything surprise you?
1: Candidly, people were talking about uh, what we've been talking about on this call. No surprise there. Um, the, I would say that the energy that I heard and the uh, around the conference, uh, the various meetings that I had, was as significant and as positive as as I've heard it in the last several years. Obviously, there was lots of talk about uh, about the election uh, and uh, what the impact uh, of the um, of the election might be. Of course, none of us can predict that, and that's probably a subject for a whole, a whole different house calls. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but there was certainly no no lack of um, of of interest in talking about where is the puck moving. Uh, where are there opportunities for private equity uh, and strategic investors to move their businesses and their investment theses forward? And I'd say that that was, uh, for me, I always find it to be incredibly uh, exciting and energizing and a little bit exhausting, particularly that (laughs) that football party.
0: (laughs) How many people were there, do you think, at at the party?
1: 675 people.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: And uh, it's a funny, I'll tell you a, a very short, funny story. The this was our 10th anniversary, and the first one was, uh, was uh, when the Oregon Ducks, I think, were playing maybe Auburn, and we had a, uh, a dinner scheduled with a client. It happened to be a client that was based in Oregon uh, for that night. It was just a small you know dinner to, to talk, to catch up, and uh, then, of course, the, the Ducks get into the uh, college championship game, so the client said, gee, do you think we could do the, uh, the dinner at a place where there's a TV, maybe a sports bar? So we said, gee, that's interesting. This is about, you know, two weeks before the event. We said, Yeah, sure, we can we can find some place and then we said, Would you mind if we invited a few other people to come along? (laughs) Uh you know, since we're gonna be doing it at Sports Bar. So that first year, we had about 25 people watching the game, and uh, it's grown to become uh, a place to be at the conference.
0: Yeah, well, necessity is the mother of invention. (laughs) I uh, I didn't know that. That's remarkable. Now it's one of the main events uh, during the entire J.P. Morgan uh, conference. Um, You know, a couple of years ago, you and I were grabbing breakfast at J.P. Morgan, and uh, I think we were both surprised at how uncrowded the restaurant was and how quiet the conditions were to have a really nice conversation. And then you look down and there was this little placard there that said, um, you know, minimum breakfast was uh, $100 per person, some outrageous amount. It really is kind of crazy how much uh, wealth gets spent in and around the conference uh, during the Second week in January each year, uh, you know, 200 bucks to rent a a booth at a dive restaurant to have a conversation. But do you, did you see anything like that this year? And
1: Well, uh, I, I did. Um, and uh, But I'll give you both sides of the story. We, uh, our, our team, we, we were 25 strong out there. Uh, we all stayed at one of the smaller hotels. And um, I won't say the name, but uh, the rates at this hotel uh, were $1,400 a night with a four-night minimum, which is sort of the standard out there. And we held our nose and, and agreed to do it. I uh, have to have some place to, to sleep at night. One night, I came back to the hotel uh, at 9 o'clock in the evening, and I walked in, and I happened to run into somebody who's a consultant that I know. And, he, and I said, oh, you're staying at this hotel, too. And uh, he said, uh, well, I actually just got in. I just got a room. And I said, well, how's that? I mean, we, we, we signed up nine months ago. And he said, well, there's this app called Hotels Tonight. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he said, I go on it in the morning and I find a place I'm going to stay that night. And so he had a room for $298 at the same hotel that we had paid five times that for. Uh, now, the catch was, was that he could only stay there one night and the next morning he had to take his suitcase and go find a different hotel to stay <laughs> at. But I, I thought hard about saying to our bankers for next year, you know, listen, you'll do this each night and we'll, and we'll give you the difference or something like that. The cost-benefit analysis is a is a tough one. That said, if you're in a business where you're marketing and meeting with clients and prospective clients, you sort of have to be there. And the efficiency yeah. of conducting dozens and dozens and dozens of meetings is just off the charts. So I think that's why people people keep doing
0: it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Rob, we're we're kind of getting near the end of our time together. It's been a blast, but I can't let you go without um, – uh, having you give us your bold prediction for 2020.
1: Okay, I'm gonna do two. I'm gonna take the liberty, I'll keep it short. Um, I think one is, despite the lack of success of the uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield North Carolina can be a merger, I think we will see some major consolidation events in the Blue Cross uh, Blue Shield world. Um, as i mentioned, uh, scale is critical in healthcare. And despite the incredibly strong market share positions in each of their home states, yeah. uh, many of the blues are challenged by not having a a broad enough service offerings such as MA or Medicaid they've got lower profit lower growth commercial books of business and frankly they have an inability to take additional market share you can't you can't go much higher than 70 or 80 percent right um, and I think frankly the impact of the multi-district litigation yeah. is unclear The
0: Alabama case yeah
1: exactly yeah. but I think that there's a better than even likelihood that um, ultimately the blues will be able to compete with one another with their branded uh, service offerings across state lines so I think you may see some consolidation there Uh, in the next year or two i'd say the other one um, is that uh, i think it would be really interesting to see a major tax-exempt health system do a conversion to investor owned or go public or partner with private equity Uh, capital is king Mm -hmm. and although the tax-exempt bond markets uh, markets that you know well from your years as an investment banker uh, are incredibly liquid and low interest rates obviously make debt capital the cheapest capital it's not the most flexible capital and uh, the hospitals and health systems continue to require capital to invest in IT and and physician strategies, and that's just more and more difficult to finance with uh, traditional tax-exempt bonds. So, you know, 10 years ago, when we represented the old Boston-based Catholic system, Caritas Christi, uh, in their conversion to PE ownership as steward healthcare, I would have bet that there would have been a wave of such conversions. Yeah, I guess now I'm saying maybe maybe I was a decade early on that, so maybe we'll (laughs) see Well, you
0: were precocious. Well, it, it's interesting too because there are a lot of strings that come with the tax exempt financing, um, average life that it has to be used with with facilities and so on. And um, there, you know, the type of investment that I think health companies are going to do is going to be much more oriented toward toward health and prevention, IT, and so on, and things that don't lend themselves uh, quite so easily to tax exempt financing. That may become one of these unexpected. Nudges to how the system evolves. Really interesting. Actually, both those are are really interesting. Well, Rob, uh, thanks so much. I, you know, it was a great conversation about healthcare, but uh, I also really appreciated getting uh, you to talk a little bit about what it's like to be president f- of a uh, a very substantial um, healthcare investment bank and and how that rolls. Uh, Evolved, how the company's evolved over time. And, um, you know, so thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, uh, for the audience out there, we've got our article coming out. So look for that in the, in the near future, uh, along with this podcast. And uh, just stay tuned to Kane Brothers and the Insights. Uh, they, they're coming fast and furious all throughout 2020. So, Rob, thanks a bunch for being with us today. And we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Thanks, Dave. It was my pleasure.
0: Kane Brothers is an investment bank focused exclusively on healthcare. The bankers at Kane stand apart because of their deep knowledge of the healthcare industry and their practical know how when it comes to executing complex transactions in all healthcare sectors. These include healthcare services, medical technology, and life sciences. I'm your host, Dave Johnson. I'm a recovering investment banker who discovered late in my career I was always meant to be a journalist and maybe even a podcaster. I'm also the CEO of Foresight Health and the author of two books, the most recent of which is The Customer Revolution in Healthcare, Delivering Kinder, Smarter, Affordable Care for All. I love talking to other revolutionaries who are driving change in the healthcare industries.